Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast. My guest today is Randy Butler. Randy owns some of the best clubs in the country called Hyenas in Texas. Super cool dude. I'm really looking forward to talking to him, so let's bring him in. So how's it going, buddy? How's the family? You know, everything's going great. Um, We had some perfect timing when all this COVID-19 stuff started. We had just bought a new house four days before they did the lockdown. And uh, we were in the process of moving into the new house. And uh, we moved in with my daughter and her boyfriend who just had a baby the day of the lockdown. Yeah. We moved, moved my mom, my mom in with us. And then, and then of course my younger daughter. So we have seven people, a baby, uh, three chihuahuas and a pit bull at the house. <laughs> so it, it hasn't been boring. Yeah. And it's been great spending time with family. I haven't got to do that in 25 years. Yeah. Has that, has that been the best part of it? That's probably the best part of it, yeah. It's pretty nice to be able to do that. And it's nice to be able to spend time with the new baby right now, you know, because normally that would be pretty limited. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a picture of her, dude. She is super freaking cute. And <laughs> and every time I see your uh, kids, I can see your face in them, dude. It's like it's like Jared and uh, your nephew, your your grandson, uh, what's his name? Braxton. Uh, Braxton. Yeah. Dude, he yeah. looks just like you. I'm like, shit, that's... <laughs> and, by yeah. the way... He was born on the exact same day as my niece, mm. which I did not know until I saw um, I saw your son's post about it, and I was like, "Holy shit, they're born on the same day!" Um, right. What's things for you and the new baby boy? Oh man, he, I don't have to tell you how little boys are, dude. He is uh, he is a Tasmanian devil. I mean, he is just constant. Uh, he, he's the great. He's the greatest, though, man. I mean, he, yeah. he's. Uh, He's something else. You know, I heard somebody say having a kid is like watching your heart run around in somebody else's body. And <laughs> and I didn't fully understand that until I had a kid, but now I totally get it. So, Yeah, when they're in those uh, new walking stages or picking themselves up from crawling on stuff, it's like dealing with a drunk. You know what I mean? <laughs> you have to wrestle them. You're constantly watching them. If you take your eyes off them for a second, they're getting into trouble. It's yeah. crazy. And he'll be happy one minute and throwing a fit the next, just like a drunk. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of um, reminds me of something that I've been doing to keep myself busy. Uh, I've been coming into the club and uh, transferring all my old family home movies to uh, to the computer. Oh yeah, and so that's been kind of cool too, hanging out at the house and uh, watching movies with the kids and the family. And everything. Are Are you in Fort Worth Club right now? I'm at the Fort Worth Club right now. Okay. Um, what, do you have a time frame for when you guys get to, uh, get back to normal? Nope. The uh, bars are all closed right now and we're considered bars. We sell more than 51%, um, in alcohol. So yeah, I have no idea when we're opening back up, man. Yeah. Uh, we, I'm thankful that we have some pretty cool landlords and so we're not like in any immediate danger, but how long is this going to go on? You know? Yeah. You got to open up for a little while, right? We did get to open up for a little while, and I, you know, I kind of have mixed feelings about it a little bit. On one hand, you know, it be it was kind of nice to produce a little bit of revenue and kind of test the waters a little bit, but you know, it was also kind of scary. I'm, you know, I, I don't want to put my staff and comedians and customers and everybody just, you know, to try and open up a little bit early. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not upset that we're closed right now. I'm a little bit upset that we're the only ones closed right now, just bars. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It seems like we'd get results faster if maybe more places had to close as well, but yeah, whatever. I just do what they tell me. When you were open, did you have to do like social distancing and that kind of stuff? Yeah, we were at fifty uh, percent capacity. We had to do social distancing. Um, you know, just wasn't uh, you know quite the same. It wasn't that much fun. Yeah, it was okay. People seemed to really appreciate it, and it was fun being back here. I came in a couple of nights to hang out with the fellows and stuff, and you know, uh, man, sure do miss it, don't you? Yeah, I, I've been on stage six times in five months. And, uh, yeah, but to, you know, 
fortunately, I've been doing it a long time. So when I did do my shows, uh, you know, I was kind of nervous and was like, God, am I even going to remember my stuff? But it all comes back to you. I didn't really miss a beat. I was a little less comfortable doing crowd work just because the country is in such a weird place right now. But it, it, it ended up really good, you know, the shows that I did get to do. So Where did you get to do that at? Uh, Looney Bin in Wichita. Right. And I guess they're still open, but they're doing a, a limited capacity kind of deal. How long has Hyenas been open now? Uh, we opened December 9th, 1993. So 26 years, maybe yeah. something like that. I don't know, 27 years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a long really, time. How did, uh, how did you get into this business? Um... Well, I, I originally started bartending here in the Metroplex, Dallas, Fort Worth area, actually in Arlington at this uh, big nightclub. And I worked my way up from the uh, little floor sweeper to the head male bartender. And it was one of those big nightclubs during the disco year. We used to play Michael Jackson's Thriller and all that kind of stuff. But um, I ended up moving to Albuquerque shortly after that. And, um, you know, when I wasn't bartending, I was always working for a delivery service, delivering like uniforms and stuff. And yeah. I, uh, Moved to Albuquerque, moved in at my grandmother's house. My brother Jim had just gotten out of the Navy Navy after eight years, and we moved in together. And uh, I had gotten a job in Albuquerque delivering uniforms, and uh, I had to deliver some bar towels to last in Albuquerque. And Gary Bynum was sitting at the desk looking through applications for a bartender. Okay. That's what happened. And, that, and you started bartending there? Yeah, I started bartending at Laughs, and I was a bartender for, geez, I don't know, six months. Then he made me a manager, and then they decided to open the Tucson Club. So I went out and ran the Tucson Club for a while. I was actually at Laughs in Albuquerque when, like, Mark Marin was a local actor. Okay. Then I ended up going to Tucson, and uh, Pablo Francisco was a local guy there, which was always a lot of fun with Pablo. Yeah, I bet. That's where you got... I remember him sliding into the parking lot in his... Domino's pizza uniform and his little Datsun 280Z, hoping he didn't miss his open mic set yet. <laughs> yeah, he's a character. I've worked with a lot of people, and uh, I don't know that anybody um, deserves the title of character more than uh, Pablo Francisco. Do you guys still talk? Oh, my goodness. You guys yeah, still talk? it's always a lot of fun to hang out with Pablo. He's coming here to town pretty soon. I'll probably go check him out and say hi. Yeah. So, so you just start, you literally started as a bartender. I, I like those kind of stories because those kind of owners, um, those kind of owners always know every aspect of the business. And I think it makes for better owners when you started out where you started out. And then, and then what you just saved, decided you wanted to own your own club and saved up some money or? Well, no, I kind of, um, I mean, I was just a kid from Texas. I really didn't have a lot of confidence in myself to open in my own business. And I just kind of went where the wind blew me a little bit. So, you know, I started realizing when I went to Tucson that I, uh, that I really liked doing that, the comedy thing. And I really liked, you know, being around the comedians and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, I stayed working at laughs, you know, uh, probably for about four years. And then I got a call one day from, uh, Rhonda Shear. Do you know Rhonda Shear? I know the name. I don't think I've met her. She was a comedian. She's actually huge on the shopping network. Now she uh, sells a line of, uh, women's underwear or something, I guess, but she's yeah. really successful and she's awesome. She called me up and I was uh, I was in Tucson running the club in Tucson, and she said that she had some friends that owned a resort hotel in San Diego, and they had a comedy club there, and they wanted to make a change, and they were looking for somebody to run it, so they flew me out there, and I hung out there at the resort for about a week. They hired me, doubled my pay, half my hours, um, and so I moved to San Diego, and I think I stayed there for about maybe four years. Um, I did a total of ten years away. Okay. And uh, I ended up moving back to Fort Worth because, you know, I, I had a son that lived here, you know, Jared. I had yeah. a son that lived here in Fort Worth and I wanted to come home. And Jared and I had gone to a hockey game to see a Fort Worth Fire hockey game and parked in front of the original Hyenas. Okay. I had a Fort Lee sign. And uh, this old crazy woman owned the building. And I got in the way I got the money to open up the first hyenas. My dad loaned me some. And then I did a couple of shows at this 600 seater here in downtown forward called the caravan of dreams. Okay. Um, I did uh, Tommy Chong and sold that out. I did Ellen generous and sold that out. I, I think I did Bobcat Goldthwait there maybe, but uh, 
Yeah, that's how I got the money to open the club in the beginning. It didn't take a whole lot to open it. The, the place that was for lease was set up pretty well. The only bad thing is it had really high ceilings, but, you know, we weren't making it as a comedy club either, boy. We had to uh, think of something. So we started turning it into a dance club after the shows on, on Friday and Saturday nights. Okay. And, Man, that just took off. It was extremely successful. We had blinds out the door while the comedy shows were going on, people waiting to get in for the dance club. And man, those were some good times. Yeah, I bet. Was that was that at the old Fort Worth Club? Mm-hmm. The okay. original Fort Worth Club on Main Street, six oh four Main Street. The name of the dance club that we had was uh six oh four, Club Six O Four. Okay. So was it pretty rough there in the beginning when you were first opening the club? Yeah, I mean, it was really rough. Uh, we, uh, you know, when you're opening a club from scratch, um, you've got to develop a market. Back then, too, we didn't book a whole lot of special events. Um, you know, most of, most of the comics were funnier than famous. And yeah. We could, you know, just booked the funniest comics we could book um, and, and did our shows. And, and luckily, the dance club thing kind of fell in our lap. A, a big dance club had closed down, and I ran into a guy that, knew a guy that had a, a warehouse full of dance clubs, sound system and lighting and stuff. So I ended up leasing that stuff from him. Nice. And uh, yeah, that was, that was great, man. I really loved that uh, little little time period. Have you always been the only booker? The only booker? Yes. Yeah. The only booker for the clubs, yeah. 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 You didn't want to put that in somebody else's hands? Probably stress you out, huh? Well, no, that, and I, I really like it a lot. Um, I mean... There's certain techniques you have to have to develop over time and, 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 you know, certain ways of doing things. And I just think all this, you know, I got a pretty good playbook now of, of yeah. booking things that work for me and my type of clubs. And, you know, it's worked for over 25 years and I, uh, I just love doing it, man. I love hanging out with comics. All my best friends are comedians and, you know, yeah. that's that. Yeah, I remember, uh, I remember, I think it was Jason Russell telling me, he was like, you know, as long as I've been working for, for Randy, that guy has never once double booked me, or I've, and I've never even heard about him double booking anybody. And uh, I, I was like, well, that's pretty cool. You don't hear about that very often, you know. Most people are notorious for that shit. Yeah, man. I never did double book people until everything started coming together where there were so many different ways to communicate with people. Like, yeah, you know, people try and get dates through Facebook. People try and get dates through email, through text message, through phone calls. And I finally had to just say, I can't book anybody any other way than an email because I can reference it back and I'm not looking around because I did, you know, Billy D got the short end of that stick one time. Oh yeah. Um, Mark Ryan got that. I, I double booked Mark, but I always paid him. You know, I just, I just ate it because it was my mistake. Um, I love a story. Uh, J.R. Brow tells, tells a story about one time at the Arlington Club. I accidentally double booked him and Ron Shock. Okay. And, uh, you know, Ron Shock, he calls J.R. in offices and, and says, uh, J.R., what's it going to take for you to go home? <laughs> J.R. does the impression much better than me, but it's funny, man. But it, it has happened. I've done it a couple of times. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but that's a bit. Yeah, that that's a lot of credit to you to you that you would even pay him. A lot of club owners would be like, "Man, I'm sorry, I fucked up. You gotta, sorry, beat it." You know. No, man. I've always kind of tried to try to do the right thing as much as you possibly can, but you're not gonna make everyone happy. There's only so many comedy spots available, especially now, and there's so many comedians, and they're just you know, there's only so much you can do and so many spots you can book and. You know, people are critical sometimes about the way you book and who you book. And, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it than, than there's seasons. There's, yeah. you know, all kinds of shit, you know, that you got to yeah. take into account. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not as easy as you think. And you just can't make everybody happy. And, you know, usually, you know, the, the people that get upset are the people that you just can't get in or that you, you know, how would you like to sell, tell somebody that, thinks they're funny that they're just not funny enough to work for you. Or yeah. Something. You know, how do you do it the right way? Yeah. There, there's always more to it than people realize. It's like people are always asking me to take them on the road with them. And I'm like, well, it's not as easy as all that, you know, like I would love to take you, 
but mm-hmm. you know it's just not as easy as is all that um what is your biggest pet peeve when booking comedians like mm. especially especially newer ones like what what should comics not do when hitting you up for work you know there's a certain amount of emails to send for it to be you know where it's working in a comic's favor but if you get to be one of those guys where you think i'm gonna beat this guy into submission <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know i've actually said to comics man I'm not going to book you because you're just not funny enough to work here, but I got to tip my hat to you. You sure are tenacious, man. Stick with it. Maybe something will happen. Yeah. I don't know. Shit. Yeah. Um, you don't want to be mean when you're telling somebody. Usually, and, and it's not just that. It's the uh, it's the amount of emails and the amount of communication of people trying to get work. I mean, I seriously, I didn't really have a hard time keeping up too much when I had one club. But then whenever that moved to three clubs and all the responsibilities, man, I, I just got to the point there right before the shutdown, probably for a three to five year period where I'd wake up in the morning and I'd hit the ground and I'd start working. I wouldn't stop until I went to sleep. It'd be my computer in my lap in bed doing stuff. Facebook, yeah. you know, pre-Kindle, ticket sales, yeah. bookings, whatever. And, uh, man, I got to the point where I just couldn't answer every email. You know what I mean? And yeah. So I just got to the point with bookings where um, it's all just timing. If, so, if, I, if I had a spot that just opened up and then I go to my, my emails and say, well, who's just contacted me in the past two weeks? Yeah. Now, whoever it is, if they're qualified to get into that spot, I'm going to, you know, hit them on the fallout and put them in the spot. But, you know, a lot of times, too, it's just a matter of waiting it out. You know, I don't even know how to tell a comedian to be a comedian these days because... I know, me either. It's... Have you tried to think that one out lately? It's really... Yeah. I don't know what the fuck to tell them. Yeah. When I started out, you started doing open mics, and then they asked you to do a guest spot on a real show... And then if you did well in the guest spot, they'd ask you to MC. And then if you did well in that, you got moved up to feature. And then you did that a few times and then become a co-headliner or headline a summer week or some shit. And then, you know, it's, it was a process. And, and now I, I don't know how to, what to tell them either. I'm like, this is how it was when I started, but that was 20 years ago. So it's a, become I liked a, it when it, there was a process, to, like you just said. I mean, when yeah. there was a process, you had kind of like a playbook or guidelines to go by to get you to, to a certain point. Now, man, I mean, like, just like take a, a, a regular headliner, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying a regular headliner, a right. guy that, you know, can, you know, possible of standing ovation, capable of standing ovation, it just isn't going to sell very many tickets. You can only pay them a certain amount. Um, there's a, a bunch of those comedians out there. I, that's how I used to make my living booking comics like that. I used to, I used that's what I, wa- I wanted to start something with this phrase funnier than famous, but I never figured anything out for it. Yeah. That's what I always considered all my comedians that work for me. And every once in a while we'd sprinkle in a Bobcat Goldwaiter or Polly Shore or something like that. But yeah, you know, for the most most part, nobody knew the comedians I was booking. They just knew it was going to be funny. Yeah. Um, so with that process, but you know, it, it worked for a long, long time, but now, I mean, just in Dallas and Fort Worth alone, I bet you anything there's probably at least, at least 60 people that could open and feature. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just in this area. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good place to, to be a comedian. If, if you know, we're, we're definitely thinking about moving out of, out of California, and Texas is in the running. Um, I'd consider Nashville, and I'd consider going back to Kansas City, but I, I, really, I really was impressed by all the, you know, the comics that I'd seen down there. You guys have a good local scene. Um, yeah, there's a good local scene here, and it's awesome. Uh, I quit booking out-of-town openers and features shit 15 years ago. Yeah. There's just so many spots. You know, I mean, there's so many comedians to fill all the spots, and you know, they, they love being able to have the stage time in front of you know big crowds and stuff, so it works out for everybody. Yeah. Um, there's, there's such a great uh, – I mean, Dallas really is producing some funny comics, I yeah. think. 
Well, and I think it's great, too, that you guys have a normal feature spot that's a half an hour. Because um, a lot of clubs have, have, have eliminated that. They just have, like, guest spots. And I think during that half-hour spot, that's when people get really good. When you can do a half an hour six times a week, four times a month, that's a hell of a lot of stage time. And a lot of clubs have taken that away, and I'm like, I see how you're saving a little bit of money, but you're hurting the business in the long run, if you ask me, because you're not developing these these comedians as much. So um, I, I think that's great that you guys do that. Have you ever had to fire anyone? You don't have to say their name, but... <laughs> yeah, you know... <laughs> It's happened a couple of times. Um, I remember one time back at the old Fort Worth club, and I'm not going to mention any names, but the comic that was on stage, the headliner, he did or said something. I can't even remember what it was. Long, long time ago. This had to be back in the 90s. And uh, I was just so lucky because, like, now, if that were to happen and you need to fire somebody between shows, you just get on the phone, and there's people all over Dallas that can just drive right over and do it you know, 45 minutes set, but it wasn't that way in the nineties, but I was really lucky because I had John McDowell across the street doing a one nighter for me. So he okay. was off stage doing his uh, corporate gig and walks over to the club. I let the guy know he takes a hike and John McDowell finished the weekend out. But, uh, yeah, you know, more so risks like that early on than now, because, you know, I've been doing it for so long. It's hard it's that's why I, I think it's really hard to try and give a new comic advice on how to be a comic because here's what's happened as well. Say like me in the hyenas clubs, my headliner roster is probably about 65 deep right now. Okay. 65 guys that can step on stage capable of getting, you know, standing ovation crowds, love them. Everybody's happy, goes home with a smile on their face. But now I've had, and that, that would put my rotation, these guys to coming into the clubs about once a year. Yeah. You know that that's kind of how it is. Yeah. But now you get all these guys that aren't on my roster that are Netflix guys, uh, podcast guys. Um, and you sprinkle in that probably, I don't know, there's probably 20 or 30 of those. I just started using in the past. So, what does that do to your headliner roster when now you bring on 20 or 30 more guys that just spread that out? Is that even a reality to say, hey, I work at Hyenas, but I only do it once every year and a half or two years? Yeah. I mean, what do you tell a guy that's, you know, I mean, but the one cool thing about what you guys do is, and I totally believe this, with comedians, the cream of the crop. I mean, you guys rise to the top. The best rise to the top. The best get what they're supposed to get. I mean, there's guys out there that are incredibly talented that never made it. But, yeah. you know, for the most part, as far as stage time goes, I think the best get the stage time. Yeah. For the most part. How, how hard is it to sit in the back of the room as a club owner and somebody on stage not be doing well? Is it hard for you? Uh, soul crushing. Yeah, I bet. Soul crushing because, I mean, that's a, that's me up there. Yeah, you know, that's my club. That's the, my stage that I invited all these people. Hey, come look at this. Yeah, and you know, I took I took Vinny Paul and my you know John. I took Vinny and John out to a, a club once to see somebody that I just really loved a lot really respect and probably still one of my, I think they're in the top five of all talented comics I've ever known or anything, but I, I took Vinny and John out there to see him and it was, it was one of them bad nights, man. And yeah. those guys ragged me all night long the rest of the night about how I didn't know anything about comedy and that was icky and you know, that was no fun. And, you know, it happens. Yeah. I mean, even the funniest comics are capable of taking a shit sometimes. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's, on purpose. I yeah. Shit. Yeah. The last time I got to see Pitt, Vinnie Paul, he was in the room and that was the show that you were in the back of the room and I didn't know. And that's my favorite thing is when a club owner's in the back of the room, but I don't know they're there. So then I'm not thinking about them at all. I'm just doing what I do. And I came off stage and, and you were really cool about my show and everything. And I was like, Oh shit, you were here for that. Awesome. <laughs> I'll take that. But when when I when I know they're in the room and like every joke that doesn't get what it deserves or what it usually gets, I'm like fuck. They think I suck, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, but once you get to your point, you know, 
you've been doing this quite a while. You you don't really run across too many sets that go sour on you anymore, do you? No, not not really. Not uh no, not really. Um, you know, you have those... Jason Dixon warned me a long time ago. He was like, don't ever think you're not going to eat it again because as soon as you have that thought, you're about to eat shit. So right. I've tried not to... Uh, I try not to get too cocky about it, but... Do you have a favorite comedian, like, funny-wise, of all time? Of all time? Like... Man, I, I, I say this for years, and, and it's crazy because... Man, I've seen people have some monstrous sets, especially in that old Fort Worth club on Houston Street. That was just like the greatest comedy club. I just, yeah, everybody loved it. It was so much fun. And 320 seats, and it was always packed. And yeah, you know, I saw people have some monster sets in there. John Reeve is, um, he's just a beast. You know, Brad Williams, uh, you know, just all these guys. But I, I still haven't ever seen someone have a set like I saw Tommy Blaze have at the club that I ran in San Diego back in the uh, late 80s. Yeah. He was just a beast, man. Tommy was fearless. He was crazy. He was cocky. He was an asshole. <laughs> All those things wrapped into one. Yeah. Loved him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he came in one night, and he had his little uh, comic strip live jacket on, and he just goes on stage, does a 45-minute set. And, man, there, was, there wasn't anybody that wasn't paying just a hundred percent attention to him that whole set it was just crazy yeah love it yeah you know it's hard for me what's hard for me as a club owner is you know like you say standing in the back room and catching somebody's set is uh man i'm, I'm just so uh it's almost hard for me to enjoy comedy now in my room yeah and the reason why is i'll be trying to watch somebody and then somebody will be over there talking or you know like I tell comedians that all the time. There's so many local comedians. The one thing you don't ever want to do is let me catch you talking in the showroom while the show's going on. Yeah. That's like the worst thing you can do. Not only to me in the club, but to the comedians on stage trying to make people laugh and you're over there talking. Yeah. That's like get pet peeve wise, that's like my biggest pet peeve, but other okay. than that, you know, shit. I uh it's just hard to watch, you know, it's doors opening, you know. Waitress drops and just all that stuff, and you're just so distracted. It's hard to watch a comedy show when it's your club. Yeah, I bet. Uh, we mentioned Vinnie Paul a little bit earlier. Who you guys were friends for how long? Sixteen years. I I didn't even know that until I did the math on it when he passed. You know, trying to figure yeah. out how long we've been friends. But yeah, he had been a huge comedy club fan of you know he loved hyena he was actually a partner in hyenas oh yeah really passed i didn't know that um, he uh he probably saw more shows at this club than i did the past 10 years yeah uh, he's just a huge comedy fan man he got it he understood how setups punchlines all that stuff you hung out with him afterwards a couple yeah of times yeah he was really nice to me and he told me that i had great timing and and some compliments from some people mean more, you know. It's Vinny freaking Paul. I'm like, thank you. You know, I mean, he was he was he was a super cool dude. Do you have a, a favorite memory with Vinny? You know, again, this is just from a, a a kid that came from a small town in Texas and didn't get to do much. You know, I, you know, I just wasn't ever ha happier than whenever I was getting to do like rock and roll things with Vinny. It was just so cool. Like, yeah. You know, when we'd go to Vegas and everybody give us the royal treatment or we'd get access to places and shows. And, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to go to uh, Cabo a few times with those guys for Sammy Hagar's birthday party. And the first time wow. was the funnest. We'll never forget it. And, you know, those kind of times just, you know, going on trips with him. I got to get on the tour bus a couple of times with Hell Yeah and ride around and you know, it's just amazing the way those guys operated. They were such hard partiers. But then you, I would wake up on the bus the next day with a hangover and sleep in my eyes and poke my head out the window. And they'd already be set up in a village with barbecue going on and music and, you know, the guys from corn eating barbecue with them. It's just crazy. I don't know. Yeah. And I asked Vinny one time, I go, would you rather be on the road or would you rather be at home on the road? Yeah. Didn't even hesitate, man. Yeah. You know, that's his life, or was his life? He loved, you know, just living out of a bus. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, he seems was... like he'd get tired of it after a while, but I guess you just get acclimated to it. And it's 
home then. Yeah, I think if you were rock star status like that, it would it would be pretty cool. You know, it's a little more of a grind when you're sleeping on the side of the road in your in your Honda Accord <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, what other famous people have you met through the club? I know, uh, not comedian wise, but like I know Terry Bradshaw comes in all the time. He- yeah, Terry Bradshaw comes in. He comes in because uh, one of my headliners that I book regularly and I love. He's my like my favorite new guy, Jeff Die. Okay, um, Jeff was on a show with Terry, and uh, so uh, he comes in when Jeff's in town. Um, yeah, it was getting kind of cool there for a while, right before this COVID thing, man. Tony Romo, Romo came in. Uh, Matt Prescott came in a couple of times with his buddy and did open mic. Um, oh, yeah? You know, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's been a lot of fun. I just recently, right before, I guess it's been a year now, but, uh, I mean, I got to book Andrew Dice Clay in my club. Yeah. You know? I mean, and for a 58-year-old guy, like I am, that does this, that was just really friggin' cool to me. Yeah. You know, I, I love that. Yeah. When I was uh, a few, about a year ago, I was uh, I was headlining the Vegas club, uh, the Laugh Factory, and he was too, but we were in, in different times. So we shared a green room together, and we didn't talk a whole lot, but when, we, when I was in there, there was a whole bunch of people, and I was just sitting there, and I was like, this is cooler than shit. Like, I was 10 years old when I first saw that guy on stage, and then he sold out Madison Square Garden and all that, but just being in the room and looking across and being like, that's Andrew Dice Clay, and we're headlining the same club. It was freaking, it was surreal to me. Um, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, you have your, your name up on the marquee with his and everything. Yeah, but. yeah. It was super cool, and our pictures were right by each other. He was doing, like, the midnight <laughs> show and all that, and... You know, I was doing the eight and ten, or however it worked out. But yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Didn't Kelly what Clark? Where did you start, Tim? I started in December of January, rather of ninety nine. No, no, December of ninety ninety eight. So it was almost nineteen ninety nine. So it's been a little over twenty one years. Nice. Yeah. Uh, didn't Kelly Clarkson work for you? Kelly Clarkson was a cocktail waitress at the Arlington Club. Yeah. I uh, I ran the Fort Worth Club back then, but my buddy Mark Doyle, I don't know if you remember Mark. I remember uh, that name, was, yeah. He was owner at the Arlington Club, and Kelly was a waitress there, yeah. Yeah. And I went over a couple times, and she'd be singing away, you know, between shows or doing the turnover. Really nice, really sweet. Glad she made it. Couldn't happen to anybody better. Yeah, that's awesome. What would you say the hardest part of owning a comedy club is? You know... <laughs> It's just the realization, without thinking that it can ever really happen, of knowing that, you know, what, you know, I used to always ask myself, what are you going to do if people stop coming? What are you going to do if they don't come to your clubs anymore? Yeah. You know, and I haven't had to answer that question until now. And and it's kind of weird now because I still don't know. Here I am sitting at my comedy club office, you know. Yeah. And there's nothing to do right now. The only thing you can do is reschedule shows and refund tickets. That's yeah. all we can do right now. It's funny yeah. because I come to work about three or four days a week now. And, uh, you know, I tell my, you know, I'm living in a house full of eight people. So I tell my wife, I'm going to work here. <laughs> so I get in the truck and I drive to downtown Fort Worth and I head over and pick Ben Creed up. We come to the club and play darts for about three hours. Then I take him <laughs> home and I go home. You know, that's... That's about all there is to do right now. I love Ben Creed. Is he doing all right? Yeah, Ben's doing great, man. I love that dude. I'm so glad he decided to move here. Yeah, because he, he was in lives a couple blocks away, man. Oh, really? Do you yeah. still do you still ride bikes with Robert Hawkins? You know, we do every once in a while. I haven't seen Hawkins in a while. I think he sold his apartment and moved somewhere. But yeah, we were doing that for a while. Yeah, and then uh, you know this. This COVID thing or you know, lockdown, I mean, yeah, the hell, you know, I mean, I guess we're all saying what the hell, but, uh, you know. Yeah, you man, know. it's it's difficult, especially like, you know, I've got a small son and you take him to the park and they've got all the, all the stuff, you know, roped off. He can't even go on the slide or anything. It's like, all I can do is take him into a field and be like, all right, buddy, uh, run, I guess, you know, it, it, it just sucks. We can't you know, taking him anywhere, just even going to the grocery store, you know, it's like a big deal now, and, and, uh, so, I, I don't know how long, 
I don't know how long this shit's going to take, but. Yeah, I really feel bad for my 18-year-old, too, uh, Briar. Uh, she, uh, of course, this was her senior year in high school, so she didn't get to do a prom. She didn't get to do the, you know, all that kind of stuff. But yeah. also, she had got just gotten signed to the Wilhelmina modeling agency and she's yeah. supposed to move out there this summer and go to work and you know as soon as it's over she's still signing with them still going but you know yeah. she just had all this built up of how everything was going to go and you know to be 18 and to have that you know kind of ripped out from underneath you yeah. kind of stinks you know but it's kind of cool living in the house of that many people my wife and i love it christy's definitely you know yeah getting into the grandma thing yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about Christy. Um, how 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 helpful has it been to have such a, a supportive wife in this kind of business? It's been great. Um, but the coolest thing is, is that uh, you know she totally took over a part of the business ten or fifteen years ago, and I didn't have to do that anymore. You know, she was a staff manager for all three clubs, bartenders and waitresses. Yeah. And, you know, her, she won't stay home. She's always got a waitress tray in her hand taking a section. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, she's been waiting tables at Hyenas for 20 years. Wow. So how long have you guys been married now? Ah, oh, shit. Um, well, we've been married for 25 years. In fact, that was another bad thing. We had to celebrate our 25-year anniversary in lockdown. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that sucks. And I realize I'm bitching a little bit. I know that so many people have it so much worse, so I'm not being a crybaby. No, I, I know you're not. It's just, you know, and I try to tell myself that too. I'm like, I'm like, people have it worse off than you, but it just, you know, when you do something, it, it's part of who who I am as far as being a comedian, you know? Like, I don't have an outlet anymore, really. I mean, I do my podcast and stuff, but it's not the same thing, you know? And you know, you know what makes it really, really super hard? And I know you know this. It's that what we did or do, it's really fucking cool, man. I mean, yeah. our jobs, I mean, we're in the comedy business. Yeah. It's really cool. It was cool, you know, owning comedy clubs and sold out shows and celebrities. And, you know, it's just awesome. I can't wait to get back to it. Yeah, me either. And the times that I was on stage... um, I really appreciated it more, you know, than I than I did before. Just being up there and just having a microphone and, you know, controlling a room full of people. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it's it's a pretty special thing. Um, where would you like to be in five years? You still want to be owning the? Cl- you still want to be a club owner? Um, it's funny you say that because that's another thing that was in the works right before. And I don't know if I told you this or not, but uh, you know. I, I had the three clubs sold. Oh, you did? Um, and and I was still going to, you know, be a part of the clubs. I think then the deal is 10% ownership, but the, it was with, in mind to expand. We were planning on opening like 30 clubs. Okay. Uh, the rubber and, chicken deal? What's that? Wasn't it called rubber chicken or something? A rubber chicken comedy club. Yeah. I got the website already, everybody, so don't even think about it. <laughs> But we're still planning on doing it, you know. I don't think this thing's going to last forever. I don't think this thing's going to destroy live comedy and live music and live sports. I just don't believe that. They're going to, you know, come out with a, you know, something to take care of it. We'll all be fine again. Um, And hopefully, you know, the cream of the crop can survive and comedy will flourish. Yeah. If we weren't, uh, if we weren't in such a, Weird time. Um, what would your advice be for someone if they did want to open a club? If they wanted to open a club, yeah, go to work at a club for a little while and don't don't just you know yeah don't just go to a couple of shows and say man this would be neato. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine was telling me that he was like you know I've got all this money saved I think I might open a comedy club I'm like well you might want to look into it a little bit it's it go, it's a lot more work than you than you would realize you know that it is like you said you get up get up and you think about it from the moment you wake up until you go to bed somebody asked me well I've been asked a couple of times why I think hyenas has been around so long and I, and I swear to god it's it's always been fear driven it's always been fear of people not coming in fear of you know, it raining on Saturday night, 
fear of, you know, a comic doing something that he shouldn't do or an employee quitting right before a shift or, you know, it's, it's always been fear driven, but man, the rewards, holy moly. Yeah. Is that the best part of it? The rewards? Yeah. Or the fear driven? (laughs) (laughs) No, the award, the, the, the rewards from being fear driven. Cause I understand the whole fear driven thing. Yeah. I think the the rewards, I mean, truly the rewards are, is I've raised a family doing this. And and I got to, you know, I got to raise my kids in, you know, decent house. And and, and I got to, you know, I got to support a family of, you know, like five for 20, 25 years. And, you know, I had no idea what I was going to do when I was younger. I had absolutely no idea. Before I started in the comedy business, you know, I bartended a couple of places, but mainly what I did is I would, I would deliver uniforms or I delivered Ozarka drinking water, you know, those big ass giant yeah. bottles of water yeah, in the Texas sun on these driveways that are like two blocks long. I did yeah. that for two years, man. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know. So, let's just say when I'm sitting around in, in a comedy club and watching comedians, and I mean that's that. I think that's probably one of the biggest benefits is even though it's like a start to finish from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, it's also not like you're working at all. Yes, yeah. you know I, I love the comedy business. I love being in the bar business. I love. You know, I, I think I love everything about it except for a few of the conflicts and, and morning radio. Yeah. Those are the two things yeah. <laughs> that were hardest always. Um, morning radio, man, Jesus. Especially if you live in Fort Worth and they want the Fort Worth comedian over there and you, you drive them all the way to Dallas for a 10-minute spot. But, you know, yeah, it, 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 it always helps to get as much exposure, but for a nighttime person to have, I don't... I don't know how comics were yeah. funny on the radio at that early in the morning after staying up all night. You yeah, know? it's hard because sometimes you have to get up, but it takes, especially if you've been on stage that night, it takes a while to wind down. And, you know, especially radio, sometimes, depending on what radio you're on, um, some some DJs are great, and then some of them step all over your stuff, and, you know, they'll ask you a question and not let you answer it. Right before the punchline, they'll interrupt you and that kind of stuff. <laughs> Uh, that's the hardest part of it, but, um, it's well, that's a- what's cool about this one state, Bo and Jim, you know, Bo and Jim, you've been there a couple yeah. of times. Yeah. Those guys are cool, man. And they know how to interview comics and, yeah. you know, it's just the getting up part. That's the only thing is the getting up part, man. Yeah. I bet. Wow. Uh, what in your mind has changed the most since you started about comedy? Well, probably the booking and, and the abundance of comics. Yeah. And all the different formats to get comedy out there. So I think what's changed a lot is, you know, you used to book a three-act show and uh, the opener was usually local or close by. And then the feature and the headliner were both out-of-towners, you know. Yeah. Um, now, you know, you've got so many local acts um, you don't have to do that anymore, but also just like in advertising, you know, the social media and, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm 58 years old and I'm trying to like stay up on Facebook and, you know, yeah, everything that goes along with that, it changes all the time and websites and emails and text messages and, yeah. you know. You really, you really got to kind of surround yourself with people now. Whereas before, it was really easy just to be a mom and pop. Yeah, do everything. I remember when we first opened the club in '93. I used to work the door. I cook sometimes. I, we clean the club ourselves. You know. Yeah. It's just. Uh, well, you still do sometimes. I remember you telling me that story about recently where you had to uh, make all those chicken wings at one of the clubs, the Dallas Club. <laughs> Yeah, we had our fryer go down, so uh, me and John, Big John, we just got a couple of uh, big buckets of uh, pots and took them over to the comedy condo, which was located across the street at the time, 
And, uh, man, we were just frying wings up and putting them in pans and putting them on the tailgate of the truck and driving them over to the Dallas Club. And yeah. we didn't think that was ever going to – we didn't think we were going to get that smell out of the condo. <laughs> <laughs> we finally got rid of that condo. I, oh, you did? I love that yeah. place. That's too bad. Yeah, we just went to all hotel because, uh, you know, it goes into that – that group of guys, you know, that are selling two, three, four hundred tickets on their own, they they won't stay in a condo anymore. So yeah. it just got to the point where I was paying for rooms and condo and blah blah blah. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Made more sense. And, and I almost always prefer hotels, but that particular one I loved. It had that great workout room. The club was right there. Um, I dug staying over there, so I'm kind of that sad. That poker was right there. Yeah, all kinds of stuff within walking distance. <laughs> So that yeah. that that kind of stinks as far as uh, as far as th- that's probably the only apartment that I I liked in this business. Um, how many grandkids do you have now? I have two: Braxton and Sailor. Sailor's the new one that yeah was born on the day of the lockdown. Oh, on the day of the lockdown, I didn't realize the day that. Of the lockdown, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the bar- best part about having grandkids? <sighs> well. Is it different than kids? Being able to hand them back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't, uh, yeah. Sailor's still a little baby, so I, I'll be rocking and playing her and all that kind of stuff, but when she starts to cry a little bit, <laughs> hand her off. Yeah, I can imagine. There are times where I wish I could hand my boy off to somebody because you don't realize how just encompassing it is. I mean, it just takes over... You know, he if, if he's awake, I am not doing shit else besides watching him. And if I try to, he's like, what are you doing right now? You know? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, you also have a, a pro boxer in the family now. What's that like? Yeah, my daughter Carson, her boyfriend, who is Sailor's dad, the three of them live with us. Uh, he's a professional boxer, 7-0. and oh. Nice. Uh, he's the Fort Worth kid. He's really good. Um, unfortunately, his... Last four fights have been canceled, and this, keep in mind, is after doing a weight cut. Yeah. That's the, man, that's the hardest part of boxing. I can't even stand it. I remember this last time he had to cut weight. I actually went to sleep early and slept late because in my mind I thought the time would pass by faster for him not having to go through that. Yeah. Uh, But it's horrible, man. And I I can't believe it. In the first one, he gets all the way to like five days out of the fight, and his opponent uh, tore something in his shoulder and had to cancel the fight. Yeah. How much? So then he gets another fight. That fight gets canceled because his opponent contracted uh, the virus. Then he gets another fight. The same thing happens again. Then two weeks ago, he cuts weight, flies out to Vegas, checks into the MGM. Fights the next day, makes weight, uh, and then they tested his opponent. He had wow the virus, and they flew him home. Man, know. that sucks. How much weight does he have to cut? Well, he's normally, I think, walks around, and I might be wrong about this, but I think Edward normally walks around about 138, 140, something like that. And he cuts down to like 126, 127. Yeah, which is a long way to go when you're when you don't have anything but water weight to lose. Yeah, and, and, you know, I feel so bad for him because, uh, man, my family, we have the worst diet and, you know, chicken fried steaks and all that kind of stuff all the time. And, you know, Edward, he's so focused. I don't even know how he does it, man. Yeah. He does. He's he's destined for for greatness. And he, this last time he went, he was, he was, uh, you know, he, the last three fights were going to be on ESPN. It was oh, really? top rank boxing. It was, you know, cool. It was some good shit. Yeah, you know, career changing fights for him, and, and, and you know, yeah, yeah. I, I wrestled for fourteen years, so I know all about cutting weight, and it it just sucks. And, and until you have to do it yourself, it's it's hard to understand. But it's just it's freaking brutal. So. Um, Hats off to him for for doing all that, and I, I hope it works out for him. I'd like to see him fight. I would love to see him fight. Yeah, man, I love it. Yeah, I I, I really get into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope he does well. Uh, you're a funny dude. Did you ever consider trying stand up? I did stand up. You know, kind of, 
early on. Yeah. They were really bad. <laughs> and I remember one time I was at the Tucson Club, and I was the manager of the Tucson Club, and I let myself do a guest set. Yeah. And uh, so I, I got on stage, and I just ate it so bad that when I got off, I walked over to the office, and I closed the door, and I didn't come out of the office until even the whole staff left. Really? <laughs> and it was so embarrassing and sucked so bad. Yeah. But then, I don't know, a few years after that, um, I had to go on stage because the opener didn't show up in San Diego. Oh, wow. And, and I did all right. And yeah. so then I kind of got the bug again. But uh, I one time in Albuquerque, I was getting ready to go up. I think it was like my third time up or something. And uh, I don't want to go up as the manager of the club. So stupid or whatever. And there was this... Uh, girl comic there her name was cindy stapleton she's really funny everybody liked her a lot and she goes uh well you shouldn't use your name and uh i go and they're and they're just getting ready to she was getting ready to go up and intro me and so she yeah goes, oh, i'll figure something out so she goes up on stage and she introduced please welcome to the stage mr matt finish <laughs> and so that everybody's kind of that's always been kind of like my nickname matt finish okay um you know <laughs> Some of the older comics that know about it, you know, yeah. it was horrible. Nobody's going to make any, you know, I, I knew early on that that wasn't the path. Yeah. <laughs> that my side of the fence was this side. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, I'm glad you're on this side of the fence because uh, you're one of my favorite club owners and, and hyenas are some of the best clubs in the country. They really are. I think the fact that you guys have been open as long as you have is a big reason why, because crowds are kind of trained you know they know what's coming and what how comedy works and all that you can always tell when a club is first open because the crowd's kind of like they don't know what what what's okay to laugh at and you know they're just not they don't really get when jokes are coming and so you can always tell um i'll let you get off here because i gotta go pick up my boy but is there any uh parting words from randy butler you'd like to leave with us no man i just uh be positive everybody comedy's coming back live music live sports it'll be we'll be laughing about it someday yeah yeah well i hope so buddy i i i, I hope you're right and uh i really enjoyed talking to you i i think i'm not sure exactly when this is going to be up it may be as early as tomorrow so i'll let you know but i, I really enjoyed it, it great talking to you jim and thanks for having me on man i appreciate it you bet buddy we'll uh we don't even have to edit anything anything out of this because you were great so uh maybe the very beginning when we couldn't hear each other <laughs> I was trying to get fancy with my mic. Well, it, it happened the other day to somebody I was talking to, and and uh, so now I know. I'm like, yeah, you got to unplug that thing. So, uh, well, cool, brother. I really appreciate it, man. And uh, well, I'll let you know when this is up, and if you'd share it and all that stuff, it'd be cool. Great, man. Thanks, Tim. All right, buddy. Give the family my best. You too. Take care. Bye bye. See you. All right, everybody. That was Randy Butler. Uh, super funny dude. I really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, great club owner. Uh, as always, go to makingithappen.com, M-A-C-A-N, ithappen.com. Help out little Bo Macon and his family. And um, please subscribe to this YouTube channel. And I really appreciate you guys' support. And I'm going to have some great guests coming up. Wrestlers as well as comedians. And uh, so that's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. God bless all of you. Bye-bye. Do us both a favor and click on that subscribe button.